Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, July 5th, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, July 3rd, is 7795. That's 7795. This morning, A Vision for You presents Finding a Higher Power to Support your recovery. The cunning, baffling, and powerful disease of compulsive overeating has bled you of all self-sufficiency and all will to resist its demands. In step one, you found complete despair, frustration, and bewilderment. You have come to this program as a result of the constant frustration and defeat and pain you experienced in the disease of compulsive overeating. Once you've accepted step one, admitting that you're powerless over food and that your life has become unmanageable, you've realized that to continue compulsive overeating means disaster. So does continuing to rely entirely on yourself to stop compulsive overeating. Now, if you already know that you can't rely on yourself, your self-knowledge, your intellect, your willpower, your determination, your resources, then your choices narrow down to either relying on some power greater than yourself or being doomed to a compulsive overeater's miserable and intolerable existence or death. In step two, there is hope, power. A power greater than yourself will restore you to sanity. Our concepts of a higher power and God, as you understand him, afford everyone an unlimited choice of spiritual belief and action. Joining us this morning is Rena, a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Rena has presented this workshop, Finding a Higher Power to Support Your Recovery, in many OA venues, including twice at the Region 7 Convention and once at the World Service Convention. So it's with great gratitude that I welcome Rena to the line this morning. Thank you, Leah. Again, my name is Rena. I'm a compulsive overeater and relapse survivor. This talk I'm giving you today summarizes a workshop that is aimed at people who have issues with a higher power. If you personally have an excellent relationship with your higher power, and if all your sponsees do also, then you might not find this talk so useful, and it's okay if you leave. I won't know. I'm going to qualify. I have a genetic illness, a reaction to sugar and other foods that drives overconsumption. Science supports a genetic factor in sugar addiction, especially where there is alcoholism in the family. Also, I am sensitive to wheat and dairy, as are some other members of my family. Part of the adverse response I have to eating these foods that I'm allergic to is that they make me feel calm. Eating resolves the anxiety in the short term, but then it contributes to rebound anxiety in the long term, creating cravings and a cycle of overeating and eventually obesity. How early did this show up? When I was only two, 
two years old, my mother had to take me off whole milk because given the choice between eating a food that got 40% of its calories from milk fat, that is whole milk, and eating any other food, I would only consume the milk. Over time, I expanded my food preferences, learning to eat from what I call the four major food groups. These are, of course, sugar, flour, chocolate, and milk fat. And the best food had all four. By age 12, I was five inches taller than my friends, uh, but I was appalled to the fact that I weighed 30 pounds more than they did. So I started restricting, especially skipping breakfast and lunch, so that after school I could just eat the four major food groups. Little did I know that research shows that if rats alternately binge on sugar and restrict, they develop sugar addiction. Uh, the major reason for my ignorance was that the research had not been done yet. But now you can go to the U.S. government's website of research published in medical journals worldwide, pubmed.gov, and look up sugar addiction. You will find more than 700 peer-reviewed medical journal articles about sugar addiction. And just five years ago, there were only about 400 such articles, so this field is growing dramatically. I include this in my talk because so many people don't see food addiction as a disease, but really the scientific community is there. Um, you may have friends and relatives who don't believe in sugar addiction who tell you, of course, you can eat one, one of whatever. And here's what you can say in response, which is a direct quote from a peer-reviewed medical journal. Quote, both human and animal studies have demonstrated that in some brains, the consumption of sugar-rich foods or drinks primes the release of euphoric endorphins and dopamine in a manner similar to some drugs of abuse. The neurobiological pathways of drug and sugar addiction involve similar neural receptors, neurotransmitters, and hedonic regions in the brain. Craving, tolerance, withdrawal, and sensitization have been documented in both human and animal studies, end quote. So what that is saying for people who are not into all these scientific terms is that for some people, people who share my disease, we can't eat just one thing. If you have an alcoholic parent, you could add, and I say, quote, the biological children of alcoholic parents, particularly alcoholic fathers, are at greater risk to have a strong sweet preference, and this may manifest in some with an eating disorder. Specific genes may underline the sweet preference in alcohol and drug-dependent individuals, as well as in biological children of paternal alcoholics, end quote. This research is surely not news to many of you. You hear this story in meetings every day. I, like many others, have a genetic illness. I knew in my early 20s, after reading a book on food addiction, that I had a problem with sugar. And you might ask, what, knowledge, what did this knowledge avail me? And you know the answer. That knowledge availed me nothing. The big book on page 39 states, quote, the, the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize, to smash home upon our alcoholic readers as it has been revealed to us out of bitter experience. And so it was for me. 
you meet a lot of people in program who can go on a diet and lose weight, but I could not. I could fast, I could eat, and there were many brief but entirely failed experiments in between. Before program, food was my higher power. Food was my refuge in times of stress, fear, and anxiety. One package of binge food had one serving without regard to the size of the package. If one package was not enough, I would go shopping for more. Binge foods did not survive the night in my house. I would go to a bakery and consume enough baked goods for a family, and if that did not resolve my distress, I would then go to another bakery. After all, if I consumed enough baked goods for two families at the same bakery, what would people think? Then in 1987, my sister asked me to be the maid of honor at her wedding, and I had a year to grow out my hair, find a dress in my favorite color, and otherwise look fabulous at her wedding. I did not procrastinate. A week before the wedding, the only thing I had left to do was lose 40 pounds. When the wedding photographs came out, I was simply appalled, and I finally came to OA, beaten. I worked the first five steps, gave up sugar and flour, and lost the weight. My life got busy, and I thought I could do this program on my own. You know how that turned out. During a seven-year relapse, I regained the weight I had lost plus interest. I learned from relapse that I have a disease that requires being an active member of this fellowship. So when I moved to New Jersey in 2002, I rejoined OA and have never left again. I'm active in program, have a sponsor and sponsees, work the steps as laid out in the big book. I now attend three meetings a week and go to two retreats or conventions each year. I have a friend who says while she is being abstinent, her disease is doing push-ups. That's what the science, the RAV studies say also. If my friend were to go back to eating sugar, she would binge worse than ever. Me too. I don't stay abstinent today because of rat studies. I learned my lesson from my own body. I learned that when I eat sugar or indeed any of the four major food groups and I stop eating that food, I'm going to go through withdrawal. Nasty withdrawal will last for at least three days and minor withdrawal will last for at least a month and cravings for months after that. There is no food that tastes good enough for a minute or 10 minutes that will justify withdrawal for a month and cravings for much longer. Now that I've been abstinent for more than nine years, maintaining a 60-pound weight loss, I no longer have any interest in the four major food groups. As the big book says on page 84, I recoil from them as from a hot flame. I can turn away from them in the same way that I would turn away from eating peanuts if I had a deadly peanut allergy. Today, if my anxiety rises and I am grateful that there are no binge foods in my home, then I recall hearing an old-timer say that when your program is in trouble, it's because you don't believe one of the steps and you need to figure out which one. For me, it is always step two came to believe. For me, a higher power that can restore me to sanity is the most important part of this program. And I think this is true for many, many people. They come to a meeting, but they can't get past the God thing. Their history with God is such that any mention of God sends them right out the door. Or they don't believe that God exists at all, and therefore they can't depend on God. So they leave OA without ever really starting the program, or even if they stay in program, they never reach a solid ground because they lack a solid relationship with a higher power. 
Chapter 4 of the big book, We Agnostics, discusses such people on page 45. Many times we talk to a new man and watch his hope rise as we discuss his alcoholic problems and explain our fellowship. But his face falls when we talk of spiritual matters, especially when we mention God, for we have reopened a subject which our man thought he had neatly evaded or entirely ignored. Coming to believe in a higher power can be difficult, and it has been a process for me. I often find my higher power in nature. Some people think it is a coincidence, for example, that the moon's diameter is one four hundredth that of the sun, and the sun is 400 times further away from the earth than the moon, and the result is a miracle that can be predicted and that you personally can experience, and that miracle is a total solar eclipse. If you have any doubts about miracles, I urge to be present at the next total solar eclipse, which will occur on August 21, 2017, and across the United States from Oregon to South Carolina. I have had profound experiences of contact with a higher power that gives me excellent loving direction, especially in meditation and especially when I'm in nature. I take notes on my meditation and I put them in my journal so when I'm struggling, I can return to the excellent direction I've received in the past. If you are struggling or miserable today, I say to you that I am certain, I am certain that my higher power does not want you to be miserable or struggling today. If your higher power is not working for you, if your higher power is not advancing your recovery today, consider identifying for yourself a new higher power. That's what I hope you will be inspired to do today. Again, in We Agnostics, page 46, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to effect a contact with him. Whether you call God, as on page 46 of the big book Creative Intelligence or Spirit of the Universe or as one OA friend does, George, I am convinced that the spirit of the universe has the skill set to appear to you in whatever form will support your recovery. I'm now going to share a process for finding a higher power who will support your recovery from a workshop, as Leah said, I've given several times. This process involves writing and sharing. And because many people will be listening to me on a recording, I'll indicate where people who want to create their own workshop can pause the recording to write. If you write based on this workshop, I urge you to share your writings with someone else in program, especially your sponsor. One powerful option is to do this workshop in a group setting where after each period of writing, each member of the group shares as much as he or she feels comfortable sharing. This is the process that I ask my sponsees to use so that I know as they work the program, they will have a higher power that will support their recovery. So if you have a sponsee who's having trouble with the God thing, this process is an option. Some of us think of God as like a person, especially a parent, someone we cannot change. God is what God is. Many of us come from dysfunctional families, and we project our parents' defects onto God. So essentially, we have said the defects that my parents have, God has, and I can't change God because God is what God is. There is a great example in the big book, in the chapter Window of Opportunity. 
listen to what the author says about his parents on page 422. My earliest memories included threats by my parents to throw me out onto the street for the slightest acts of disobedience. The thought of being forced to live on the street is pretty terrifying for a six-year-old. Those threats, coupled with a fair amount of physical punishment, kept me frightened and obedient. And here's what he wrote on page 427 when he, about when he went to an AA meeting. See if it sounds familiar. People suggested that I find a higher power. I was not fooled. I knew when they said higher power, they meant God. And I knew that God waited for me to step out of line just once so that he could take his revenge. I wanted no part of God. This man found a higher power, and he found recovery. You can, too. And by way of a reality check, if you could have beaten your food addiction by yourself, you would not be participating in this phone call. You have to find your own higher power. And a major part of that is clearing the roadblocks in your pathway. Just as you do a fourth step, in part to clean up your relationships with other people, it can be very helpful to do a fourth step on your history with God. If you skip your fourth step on your personal history, the knowledge of your defects is a sinkhole in your recovery, one that you can fall into over and over again. I think if you skip over a fourth step on your relationship with your higher power, you are leaving sinkholes in that relationship too. And when times get bad, that relationship can fail rather than offer a safe pathway to recovery. Just as with a standard fourth step inventory, you want to include both good and bad, but you want to look a little harder at the problems. Especially, you want to look at resentments. Here's what the big book says, starting on page 64. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stems all forms of spiritual disease, for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we are angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry. In most cases, we found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. On our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with? Then, from page 67, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where we had been selfish, where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? So what I'm asking you to do is include God, your existing God, in your resentment list. My resentments are ever so much worse when I have a part in them. When a politician is elected and I voted against him and gave money to his opponent and this politician disappoints me, I don't feel much resentment. But when I play a role in electing someone and he disappoints me, then my resentment is much greater. So it's very important to look at your part in your, your resentments of your existing God. For example, 
Did you pray for something that did not happen and feel rejected? It is very hard to look at why you were angry at God. But please consider that if you've not been able to become close to a higher power, it may be because you've been holding on to a serious resentment against God. Use a piece of paper. Put three columns on the page. The first and widest column, what is the resentment I have against God? The second column, how did that affect me, especially my anxieties, my anger, and my eating? Third column, what was my part in the resentment? Could I have taken a different action that would have led an event not to take place or to end differently? Sometimes, often, there is nothing that you could do or have done. But more often than you think, you played a role in the resentment. Please consider if your role is simply that you have held on to the resentment and that holding on to the resentment is what is preventing you from recovering. If you are listening to a recording, please pause and right now and then share what you have written. Just briefly, in my experience, individuals who have had trouble finding a higher power have compelling reasons to be resentful toward their current God, ranging from deaths and other tragedies involving young people to being victims of horrific abuse to not being protected against making their own serious life-changing mistakes. Often, people putting their resentments against God on paper express how surprised they are and how angry they are at their current God. They didn't know. It is absolutely no wonder that so many people with such resentments come into OA, hear the word God, and hand out the door. It is not merely an issue of having avoided or walked away from God in the past. Their view is that God has let them down big time in the past. Just as writing down one's resentments against people puts a limit to the resentment, so can writing down one's resentments against God. The next step is to examine the positive and negative attributes that we have in our minds when we think of our God. If you are writing, take two pieces of paper. On the first page, what are the positive attributes of my God? What is working or helping my recovery in my relationship with God? God may be a source of love, wisdom, protection, compassion, inspiration, hope. This is your list. On the second page, what are the defects of my God, especially why do I not trust God? What is not working or not helping my recovery in my relationship with God as that relationship exists now? Does your God have one of these defects, which makes it unlikely that your God will support you in your recovery? First, distant God syndrome. God is far away in heaven and not able to help me with food. I can't find God. Two, overworked CEO God. God is working on the big issues, such as world peace, and I should not take up God's time with my food problem. Three, unworthy me, judgmental, supercilious God. I am an anxiety-filled, failure-prone, poor excuse for a human. God will not care about or help me. God will help others, but instead withholds from me. Four, cruel, absent God. God has permitted horrible tragedies in which innocents suffered, such as the Holocaust, 9-11, the Rwandan genocide, 
slavery, and childhood sexual abuse. If there is an all-powerful God who is controlling every aspect of the universe and he permits this suffering of innocence, then I want no part of this God. Fifth, a punishing or vengeful God. I have sinned. I am a compulsive overeater, and this is my punishment from God. If God loved me, I would be able to have my cake, eat it too, and I would be thin. Since this is not the case, God does not love me, and I reject God. Six, silent God. I prayed and prayed for God to A, stop my father from beating my mother, B, stop my eating, C, halt the man who raped me, and in each case, God did nothing. I reject God. In the big book, page 396, a man wrote of the violence he lived through in childhood, saying, I was very angry and wanted nothing to do with God when I arrived at AA. Seven, wrong gender God. God is a member of a gender that is not my gender, so I am not made in the image of God. I believe that both genders are equally worthy, so I don't believe in God. Again from the big book, page 346, a woman wrote, I had explored numerous religions and dropped them because they preached a patriarchal God, which I felt never included me. Eight, Santa Claus God. God does not exist. The concept of God is only for children and weak people. God is not available to help me with food. Nine, untrustworthy adherent God. God's adherents have disappointed me. Priests who abuse children, corrupt leaders of churches, and so forth. And if God were good, he would not have such adherents. Finally, God, the parent, has the same defects as my parents, and just to choose the defects that your parents have or had. God is withholding, judgmental, unreliable, abandoning, does not love me, prefers my siblings, and so forth. I cannot tell you how often people project onto God the same defects their parents had. If you are listening to a recording, please pause it now to write out your list of positive and negative attributes of your current God. You now have to develop a vision of God that will assist in your recovery. How can you reconcile your current defective higher power with the success of OA? And if you don't yet believe in OA, in AA, recall from the big book, page 50, Thousands of men and women flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do simple, certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they have found that a new power, peace, and happiness and a sense of direction flowed into them. That is powerful evidence of the working of a higher power in the lives of those formerly desperate, then recovered alcoholics. Three commonly held viewpoints are inconsistent and are often at the heart of people's issues with God. A, the view that God is all-powerful and nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. 
be, the view that God is just and fair so that the good prosper and the weak are punished. C, the observation that innocent children and innocent others suffer and die in this world. How do you reconcile these three viewpoints with the working vision of God? You need to envision a higher power who will work for you in this world, not a higher power who will only work in an imaginary, idealized world where bad things only happen to bad people. The big book has many stories of people who found recovery and then suffered terrible losses. Their relationships with their higher powers had to survive or they would have not have kept that recovery. Many visions of God are possible. You have to find your own. Here is what has worked for me. Some people think that everything that is happening right now is what God wants. Personally, I don't believe this. I don't believe that God wanted the Holocaust or the deaths of children from cholera or slavery or what is happening today in Syria. I don't expect that God will violate for my own benefit the natural laws that God created in the first place. I think that God has given humans free will and the ability to make mistakes and therefore bad things happen, but not because God wants them to. If any of you have suffered sexual assault, I don't think God wanted that. I think that God was telling your assailant, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Personally, I hear don't do it messages from God fairly often, and I'm sorry to say that sometimes I do it anyway. Possibly many of us do. That's free will. I think all of us are spiritual entities incarnated in earthbound bodies that have powerful drives necessary for survival of the species. Of course, for example, eating, breathing, mating, pain avoidance, and social interaction. But we are also driven to meet spiritual goals. We want to be close to God. When there is conflict between our human drives and our spiritual goals, we are deeply uncomfortable. We suffer pain because we, incarnate, we are incarnated into human bodies. What world would we live in if natural law could regularly be violated because someone is close to God. If this or that spiritual leader could jump off tall buildings and not die. Think about it. I had a sponsee whose vision of a higher power was a force that would prevent her from suffering pain, and that worried me a lot because I observed that she was human with a normally functioning nervous system, and therefore she was bound to suffer pain. What would happen to her relationship with our higher power when she suffers pain? My higher power does not violate natural law to give me the outcomes I desire in the world. My higher power is more like a mentor who loves me and loves my planet. My higher power wants me to realize my gifts and have others realize theirs. My higher power wants me to enjoy my life. How do I communicate with my higher power? I use telepathic communication, which is prayer and meditation. I think scientific evidence is sufficient to support telepathic communication. Um, there is, for example, a study done by a British researcher who has looked at telephone telepathy. Some of you may have experienced the hearing the phone ring and knowing who's at the other end of the line. So this researcher did an experiment where he had individuals who knew that one of four known people would call. 
And this person, who was the subject of the experiment, had to identify when the phone was ringing who was on the telephone. And if this circumstance were, in fact, random, as you know, 25% of the time the person would guess correctly. And when the person does not know the four people who are at the other end of the phone, the person does, in fact, guess correctly 24% of the, 25% of the time. But when the people on the other end of the phone are people that the subject of the experiment knows very well, then the subject of the experiment guesses correctly 43% of the time. And if the person at the other end of the line is one of her children, she guesses correctly more than 50% of the time. Prayer for me is not about asking for an outcome. Prayer is about asking for wisdom from a mentor who is always available to me and to others through telepathic communication. When my life ahead looks dim indeed, I ask, God, please show me the opportunity here. But 95% of the time, my prayer is simply, God, please let me know what I should do today, this hour, this minute. The big book is clear that you can develop your own vision of a higher power. On page 93 in the chapter, Working with Others, Bill talks about what to say to a currently suffering compulsive eater. Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress, stress the spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. So, what is your vision for a higher power that can help you recover? You get to choose. You can write a want ad for your higher power. So about now you are saying, wait a minute, God is what God is. My coming up with a want ad and creating my own vision of a higher power is an exercise in absurdity. I can't create a higher power in my own mind. Well, actually, research at Stanford University says that you can. An anthropologist at Stanford studied evangelical Christians who had developed a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there being Christians is absolutely irrelevant. Just give me a few minutes and I will prove it. So if you're not a Christian, not to worry, this is not relevant. Okay. The, the anthropologist was investigating how the practice of prayer can train a person to hear what they determined to be God's voice. She found that these evangelicals hold conversations with God in their heads, similar to the conversations you would have with your best friends. They tell God about their problems and imagine his wise and loving response. And being a scientist, she set up a study taking Christian students from Stanford and dividing them into two groups. One group listened to recorded lectures on the Gospels, but the second group, the prayer group, listened to recordings that invited them to see, hear, and touch God in the mind to dialogue with Jesus. She found, and I quote, After a month of prayer practice, people reported more vivid mental imagery than those who listened to the lectures. They reported more unusual sensory experience. They attended to their inner experience more seriously, and that altered how real that experience became for them. 
But wait, they were at Stanford. So in response to this research, a Stanford colleague asked the anthropologist, can prayer produce the same results, the same sense of the supernatural whispering in your ear, if you substitute someone else for God? For example, and this was his suggestion, Leyland Stanford, Jr., for whom Stanford University was named, who died in 1884 at the age of 15. So the experiment was set up, and Stanford undergraduate volunteers were invited to listen and use their inner attention to experience Leyland Stanford, Jr. Some students did report uncanny experiences, quote, and some of them reported seeing young Leyland and feeling that he spoke back, end quote. Remember, these were not ignorant, illiterate villagers somewhere. These were Stanford undergraduates. So yes, you can develop a vision of a higher power who will support your recovery, who will listen and speak back to you. But for now, for those listening to recording, I encourage you to pause the recording and write a want ad incorporating your own vision of a higher power who will support your recovery and restore you to sanity, and then share that vision with someone else. I have heard some amazingly beautiful want ads for a higher power. Sometimes these want ads request features that are not yet present in my higher power, so I add them to my higher power's job description. She has the ability to grow. I told you this was a process. Since we have the time, I would like to list some of the features of a higher power that I've heard as a result of this process. Take what you like for your higher power and ignore the rest. So here are some features. A higher power should be ever-present, calm, generous, permit slacking off, act as a mentor, act as a guide, have reasonable expectations, be understanding, watchful, interested in me, respond to communication, be forgiving, love without condition, expect me to be an adult, expect me to be honest, constant, available 24-7, intervenes, especially with self-doubt, assists with my potential, helps my recovery, supportive, patient, wise, helps with choices, provides blessings, provides protection from myself, caring, compassionate, provides clear, concise instructions, is inspiring, to whom I can share anything, listens to me, answers back, never embarrasses me, honors me, is proud of me, allows mistakes, does not condemn me for being human, gives direction, believes me adorable, chooses me, accepts me, provides a deep connection to the universe, reminds me of my goodness, provides me spiritual integrity, helps me accept things in life, good and bad, helps keep me from hurting others, helps me show God's love to others, helps me to do the possible so higher power can do the impossible, helps me to be a better person, helps me remain teachable, helps me with abstinence, provides direction and guidance when I go off track, is dependable, provides courage and hope, allows me to accept gifts of others, 
allows me to give to others, acknowledges me, wants the best for me, provides me strength to handle contrariness and anger, removes blocks, relieves compa- uh, sorry, reveals compassion of others, provides peace, love, grace, embraces me, wants me happy, gives me relationships, makes me free, helps me find solutions, is not abusive, offers courage with illness, is forgiving, is light, makes me compassionate and helpful, has a sense of humor, helps me find joy, provides inspiration, strength, willingness, serenity. My higher power triumphs over darkness. Again, the spirit of the universe has the skill set to appear to you in a form that will support your recovery. From page 287 in the big book, my sponsor asked that I merely remain open-minded to the possibility that there was a power greater than myself, one of my own understanding. He assured me that no person was going to impose a belief system on me, that it was a personal matter. Reluctantly, I opened my mind to the fact that maybe, just maybe, there was something to the spiritual lifestyle. Slowly but surely, I realized there was indeed a power greater than myself, and I soon found myself with a full-time God in my life and following a spiritual path. Again, repeating what I said earlier, from the big book, page 46, much to our relief, we discovered we did not have to consider another's conception of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to effect a contact with him. Even earlier on page 46, as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results. Even if it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. You can develop a close personal relationship with your new higher power through the methods described in Step 11. <clears throat> when I do this as a workshop, we finish with a period of meditation in contact with your new higher power or with a written dialogue with that higher power or both and later sharing what was learned in meditation or dialogue. Last year at a retreat, an OA member who started the retreat really very distant from any higher power reported that during meditation with her new higher power, she heard the following. There is a jewel within you that cannot be tarnished even by yourself. In conclusion, when you face anxiety, fear, anger, a life that is unmanageable, food does not have to be your higher power. A higher power, one that will support your recovery, can restore you to sanity. From the big book, concluding on page 164, abandon yourself to sanity. Uh, Sorry, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you so much for letting me share. I pass.
Thank you, Rena, for your generous service this morning. Thank you for sharing your workshop with us and your insights with us. We thank you very much for your gracious and generous service this morning. Rena's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. Now we will transition to a question and answer period. If you have a question for Rena, you may ask her by pressing star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, please. Liz? Hi, Leah. Mary Lee in California. Hi, Mary Lee. Hold on. Let me catch who else is there. Liz? Chris. Liz? Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie. Chrissy M. Chrissy M. Anyone else for this invitation? Mary Lee, Liz, Anne-Marie, Chrissy M. Anyone else with questions? Mary from Michigan. Mary from Michigan. And your last initial, Mary, please. G is in Gorman. Great. Thank you. Okay, let's start with this group. Mary Lee, go ahead. Hi. This is, or good morning. This is uh, Mary Lee and R in California, recovered, not cured. Wow. When you're doing a 10th step, could you demonstrate or tell me how you bring God into that conversation? Your higher power. Okay, I'm sorry, Mary Lee. All right. Um, I start by reading the the big book, and um, here we are um, on page eighty four. Um, I read this in the morning when I get up. Um, so I ask God what to. Um, for for God's help through the day, and then I continue to ask God for help whenever I need help. Um, I do a written 10th step at night, um, and I, I cannot say that I invite God into that written 10th step. Um, I look at what did I do well today, and I need to write down 10 things. And then I look at what did I need to do what needed improvement. So um, frequently in that part, I will say, okay, God, what can I do differently next time? And I will write it down. Um, And then the third part is I write down 10 things that I'm grateful for. And always number nine is my higher power and, or sorry, number nine is OA and number 10 is my higher power. Uh, Does that answer your question, Mary Lee? Thank you, sort of. (laughs) Okay, all right. Okay, thank you, Mary Lee. And we'll move on to Liz, please. Hi, it's Liz S. Palmer from New Hampshire. Thank you very much for your presentation, and I just want you to know I recently did a 10-step on my higher power. (laughs) It's very helpful. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question about step two. and that is that, uh, and actually it, it flows into step three, and, and that is there's really no discussion uh, in either about the issue of trust. And you know, my, my feeling is that in, uh, and I absolutely believe in um, 
in step two and the necessity to find a higher power and turning one's life over. But I wonder what your feeling is in, in the, um, the question of, uh, you know, the element of I'm coming to believe in a higher power and then turning my life over um, and needing to trust, you know, this is my life and I'm coming to believe that this power is going to take care of me and take care of my life. Um, and I just feel like I darn well better trust whatever I choose to call call this higher power uh, in doing both of these things. That's my question. Wow, um, that that's a hard thing. Um, Part of that is because I think I, as a receptor of what my higher power wants to tell me, I'm not always such a great receptor. I try and do the very best that I can. Um, Again, it comes back to what I expect my higher power to do for me. Um, And maybe if you have a different conception of your higher power, you would have different trust. a couple of weeks ago, a tree fell on my house. I, I don't expect my higher power to protect me from lightning. Um, so lightning struck the tree and the tree struck the house. Um, I don't view it as a violation of trust that something bad happened to me. Um I am alert to sometimes I mishear what my higher power has to say. And so I, understanding that I am sometimes a poor receptor of what my higher power has to say, when I have a very difficult choice to make, I try and talk it over with many people. I use multiple ways of trying to reach to my higher power, so not just listening but doing the written dialogue. Um So I, I I am always cautious about being in a situation where a sponsee says, you know, my higher power wants me to do X, and, and I have a lot of concerns about X. Um, and, you know, the, the 12 and 12, the OA 12 and 12, talks about this with respect to um, making amends to other people that, there's something to be said for for talking to um, sponsors also, um, but let me go back to the to the bigger issue of trust. Not that something bad won't happen to me. I I know that bad things will happen to me, and that's okay. I do trust that my higher power will provide me support and help me help myself in almost any circumstance. Um, and, and I hope that's enough, Liz. Thank you, Liz S., for the question. Anne-Marie M., it's your turn. Uh, Anne-Marie, did you ask Anne-Marie? Correct. Hi, this is Anne-Marie, in, currently in um, South in Rhode Island. And thank you, Leah, for your service. And um, thank you so much, also, uh, Rhea, for your um, talk and instructions. I really appreciate that. You may have answered this at the beginning, and I apologize if you have, but um, 
do you do this one-on-one with someone? And if you do, is it over uh, a few hours or does it take you, um, you know, a few weeks or a few times, a few times a week? Just wondering um, how you would, if you do this one-on-one with anyone. Thank you. Um, no, I don't. Um, this has uh, always been done in a group setting. And there, there are some profound reasons to do it in a group setting, although you could do it in your own. I think, you know, when um, Bill wrote the big book, he was thinking about people reading the book and having to do program on their own because there was so little of Alcoholics Anonymous elsewhere in the country. Um, but so you can do it on your own, and I do um, provide it to my sponsees for them to do it um, by themselves. But really, um, it's much better done in a group. Um, you know, when people sit in a room and they each go through aloud what they're angry at relative to their higher power, this is really powerful. Um, you know, if you think um, sharing about, you know, your intimate personal life is difficult, um, sharing what makes you angry at God is really harder, um, and having everyone in the room go through this and and really puts what you're angry at your higher power with in perspective, um, it, it's very helpful. And then people will talk about the good attributes of their higher power and what they don't want in their higher power. And the expression of what other people say helps people to develop their own expression of their higher power. Um, so it's it's very helpful to do it as a group. Thank you. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Chrissy M., your turn. Hi, Chrissy M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater and Anorexic from New Jersey. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm on the beach in Florida, and it's windy and beautiful, so I didn't know if you hear the, the wind. Rena, thank you so much. I I found it so helpful and so so simple to follow what you were saying. And for me, that's good because I do overcomplicate things, especially my relationship with my higher power. So thank you. Um, what I wanted to say, very similar to the question um, that was previously asked about step two, and and I loved your answer. And you know it. It is bringing up more questions for me. You know, the the absurdity of the actions I've taken in recovery based on what I think my higher power says to me has just led me to believe more and more, sorry, truck passing, in the need um, for the need for me to slow down and to talk to other people who have a connection to a higher power. It's so important. And I, I, uh, what my question is for you is a very, very specific question. Once you've gone through that process and you've prayed and you meditated and you dialogued, and, you know, there's, for me, there's, the feelings get in the way. You know, I have the, uh, the sometimes, I try to discern the right thing to do based on my feelings. And, you know, sometimes my feelings are archaic, like residuals from past relationships that really just 
get in the way. So sometimes people, I can be so sure of something because of a feeling and someone could speak some truth to me and it's like that sense of knowing that punches you in the gut. I, I, my prayer is that that process becomes less arduous and that's what the, the pro, one of the promises says. I don't, uh, I feel like it's a lot of work and maybe I'm just lazy. But is there, is your, do you feel like your process does get, does get easier over time or is it always that much work? <laughs> That's my question. Thank you. Okay, I think it's a muscle. And you do get better with exercise. So the more often that you turn your will over to your higher power and really seek openly um, your higher power's direction as opposed to asking your higher power to, um, for example, uh, give me what I want, um, the better you'll get at it. And it will become automatic. And the big book says this. So um, it, it can be very useful to write down what you, are, uh, what you are feeling and acknowledge what you're feeling and understand that you have to go through your feelings in order to make uh, better decisions later. So acknowledge your feelings. You are human. You have feelings. And um, then ask your higher power what you should be doing. And you will get better at this. It is a muscle. You do get stronger. I pass. Thank you, Chrissy M., for the question. Mary G., your turn. Mary G., star one to unmute. Hi, this is Mary. Sorry about that. I thought I had already done that. Um, hi, can you hear me now? Yes. This is Mary G. Um, thank you, Rena. I'm going to have to listen to this talk a dozen more times to glean all the information out of it. Wow. Um, you used a term when you introduced yourself um, regarding relapse, and I can't remember what it was. It was uh, I have another question too, real quick. But what did you say when you introduced yourself about relapse? Oh, um, that I'm a relapse survivor. Survivor, yeah. I love that. <laughs> oh, that gives me so much hope. Um, my other question is: you mentioned a website for the first. Uh, group of research that you had brought up, and I think it, the website was pubmed.org, is that correct? No, uh, pubmed.gov. Oh, .gov. So course. if you think about publications, medical, government, it's pubmed.gov. Yeah. And then just put sugar addiction? Sugar addiction, yes. You will come up with 770 hits. I did it last night. Jeez, Okay. Thank you for all your time uh, and dedication to all of this. It's, it truly is wonderful information. Again, thank you, Rena. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Mary. Who else Elizabeth has a question? Elizabeth S. Elizabeth S. Anyone else? Star one to unmute. 
Lisa M. Lisa M. Anyone else? Uh, Christy B. Christy B. B like boy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? All right, we'll go with that. Elizabeth S., your turn. Hi, Leah, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Elizabeth S. in Canada. Um, my question is, um, I have a sponsee who has a problem understanding, and I'm not sure how I can lay this out, but um, let go and let God. How do you let go? Okay, that's that's a tough thing. I think a lot of us who are in program have very serious control issues, and I do. Um, I the great the great wonderful experience of being in program has not been so much the weight loss, but that I am no longer feel responsible for the entire planet, and and that is great. Um, so maybe you can sit down with your sponsee and identify the unwillingness to let go as a control issue, um, that she will be happier, she will feel healthier, she will feel more relaxed, she will feel closer to God if she lets go of the outcome. Have her try it as an experiment. Um, to do let go of one small thing and see what happens. And then if she likes that experiment, she can let go of the next one small thing. And, again, it's a muscle. The more she practices it, the better she'll get at it. I pass. Thank you, Elizabeth. Lisa M., your turn. Hi. Thank you. My name is Lisa M., and I'm calling from Massachusetts. And thank you, um Rhea, for this talk is exactly what uh, I've been struggling with these days. Um, you know, I haven't been able to put the food down, and you know, I, you know, I'm praying, but of course, it's not happening. And um, and I do believe in a higher power, but I can't seem to connect. And um, so you were talking about doing this fourth step, you know, with your, you know, as your higher power got as a resentment. Is that something you can do when you're starting over again? Or is that something you have to do, like, during your fourth step part of the step? So can you do it any time is my question. Okay, you can do it any time, and actually it's one of the first things that I ask of my sponsees. Um, in general, um, I ask my sponsees to, to do step one first, and I'm looking for step one done, you know, really within a couple of days of coming to program. Um, I want you to understand that you were powerless over food and your life has been unmanageable. Um, if you're not there to try and develop a relationship with God to help you, um, well, you haven't admitted that you have a problem yet. So admitting you have a problem is the first step. Um, in terms of cleaning up your food, um, 
I, I guess you probably have figured out that I have a, a serious interest in science. Um, so I actually do have a recommendation for people in terms of giving up their food, which is that first they try and deal with the chemical problem before they try and deal with the volume problem. Now, this is how I sponsor and other people have a different approach. Um, but my understanding is that your intestinal flora, your gut bacteria are optimized for what you eat now. When you choose to stop eating a food, you will have bacterial die-off, which leads to withdrawal. So instead of trying to give up all the foods that a person is addicted to at one time, suffering massive um, die-off and massive withdrawal, I suggest that people identify their binge chemicals and give them up one at a time. Um, so um, personally, I gave up sugar first, and some months later I gave up, actually I gave up chocolate first, and then I gave up sugar, and later I gave up flour, and a couple years after that I gave up milk fat. Um, and during the process of giving up chemicals, I personally do not tell people to um, worry about volume so much. Um, especially I tell people you can eat all the plain vegetables that you want. Now, I know that some people can't do this, but I have to say that for the overwhelming majority of compulsive readers, um, they will not eat five pounds of broccoli. Um, so if a person can avoid being hungry, that can help them give up, you know, their chemicals. And, again, as you could tell from what I read earlier, sugar is a chemical that in some people, including myself, works on the brain like alcohol or drugs of, of abuse. Um, so I, if, if what you've been trying so far, Lisa, has not been working for you, um, namely trying to become perfect on day one, I would encourage you to do something that you feel like you can succeed with and then um, put success after success after success. Um, w would you be willing to try something like that? Yes, that's actually very helpful because I've been trying to give it all up and uh, that's not working, so that's good. Right. So, you know, talk it over with the sponsor. Have a sponsor you're working with. Um, you know, would you be willing to give up the first substance and then six weeks later the second substance and, 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 and so on like that? So you don't have to go through so much withdrawal at once. And the, the other thing that I do or had to do um, um, was understand that during withdrawal I'm going to be not capable of being a great genius. Um, that is an understatement. So I would um, go through withdrawal at a time where I had the time to basically sit around reading uh, novels, um, novels that would grip the mind, and because my brain would be in, in havoc. Um, so I, I did not try, you know, attempt to go through withdrawal. Again, we're looking at, at uh, three days of your brain just not being very good when I had uh, a lot of work commitments. Okay. 
Yeah. So uh, I think I think a lot of people expect, you know, I will go abstinent and I will have this pink cloud in my lovely relationship with your higher power, and that is not my experience. My experience is I give up a chemical, I'm going to go through withdrawal, it will be nasty. I will attempt to distract my mind from withdrawal by uh, by reading novels or if you want to watch TV. Watching TV is not enough for me. I need to have a greater distraction for my brain. Okay. That's it, I pass. Thank, Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. For the question, we'll move on to Christy B., please. Christy B., star one okay. to unmute. Hello. Yeah, I, I just did that thing. Um, I've been really struggling with my food, and my sponsor has the approach that um, the food is between you and God, and write it down, and if you change it during the day, Make a plan in the morning, and if you change it during the day, then just no guilt, no shame, shame. Just write down what you ate. But um, and uh, she doesn't like to talk about food with me because she said we talked about it one time, and uh, she said that's the last time I'm going to address it with you because I think that um, this program is not about the food. Well. I'm struggling still to get abstinent. And um, um, I just, I don't know what my question is, but um, I just, um, I don't have willingness to cook for myself very much at all. And, um, but I need help with the food and my house. Christy, may I suggest uh, at the conclusion of this recording that you can offer your phone number and uh, get some support and response to that? Sure. Okay. Thanks. Yes. Yes, we'll get your number for sure. Okay. Anyone else? I'm sorry. I'm just going to respond to Christy. Mm -hmm. Okay, go Um, ahead, Rena. Yeah, Christy, thanks so much for your courage in sharing where you are with everybody. Um, I, I think I can speak for everybody that, all you know, everybody else has been where you are, and it's a really difficult space. And I want to honor you for your struggle because it is very hard. Um, this whole talk that I've given today is about if you have a higher power that's not working for you, you need to find another higher power. Um, and I would say to you that if your current sponsor is not giving you what you need, there is nothing immoral about getting an additional sponsor. Um, and I, I wish I could, could uh, there, there are 50 people nodding their heads yes along with me. Um, frequently, yeah. Get get some help from another sponsor. Again, I would tell you what I what I said to to the previous caller, which is that it can be extremely difficult to try and clean up from all your chemicals at the, um, at the same time. Um, you know, take it easy for your on yourself. Love yourself. Your higher power loves you, Christy. Your mm-hmm. higher power loves you, and your higher power wants what is best for you. Take your time. Breathe deep. Um, if you are hungry in the middle of the day, um, I personally um, am allowed to eat between meals, uh, but there there is a really strong limit to what I'm allowed to eat. Um, but um, I keep um, 
Uh-huh. Rena, I'm just going to interrupt at this point uh-huh. just because, um, you know, this is a very ab, this is a very individual uh, process in mm-hmm. terms of the actual uh, identification and analysis of binge foods and substances, and so I believe that that is best taken one-on-one off the line. Okay. All right. Thank okay. you, Leah. Uh, good mm-hmm. luck, Christy. Yes, and again, we'll get Christy's number. And anyone else with any questions related to Step 2, please? Hi, it's Kim in Texas. Kim, Kim go ahead. Anyone else? Hold on, Kim, I'm sorry. Anyone else okay. besides Kim with a Step 2-related question, please? Santa H. Santa. Anyone else? This will be the final invitation, so please speak up if you have any questions related to step two. Finding a higher power. Suzanne. Suzanne. Okay, we'll go with that. Kim, Santa, and Suzanne. Kim G, go ahead. Or Kim. Kim Kim MC in um, the Dallas, Texas area. Um, Rena, thank you so much. And Leah, thank you for your service. Um, my question is uh, with regard to your workshop presentation, steps, like going through the step four or five uh, process, I think is wonderful. Um, but I'm just curious to get your insight. What do you think would be an appropriate amend to God? I mean, if you go through this process and as it turns out, it's your higher power. It's not that you needed to fire your higher power. Your higher power, it, 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 it was maybe your part in the relationship. That, that fourth column was the problem. So then what would be, do you think, an appropriate amend to God, or is there one? Uh, thank you, Kim. I think uh, the amend in this case is to change, to make a permanent change, so that you have a better relationship in the future. Um, I think the expression of gratitude to God is really helpful. Um, Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And Santa H., your question, please. Santa, star one to unmute. Thank you. Talking away. Uh, thank you, Leah, for your service. My name is Santa H. calling from New Jersey, and thank you, Rena, for your wonderful presentation today. Uh, my question is, is um, your workshop presentation that you did today and that you offer to in other groups, I was wondering, do you um, support and train others individuals and doing this workshop is so um, I wanted to get more information about how I can go about becoming um, trained or getting the format or what have you to be able to do it to a group as well any any of us on the line that would be interested that's my question thank you um, wow thank you Santa um, I um have not done that, but I do have written speaker notes um, which people have requested, and I'm I'm happy to send them to you. Um, for you, I'm going to be doing um, a a this workshop in New Jersey 
on December 20th, and um, I'd be happy to um, send you information about that, and then you can come and participate, and you could do it yourself. Okay? Uh, I pass. Thank you, Santa, for the question. And Suzanne, you'll be our final question today. Suzanne, star one to unmute. I I missed the first 10 minutes of this meeting, and I was wondering if there's a recording for it. Yes, I will offer all that information uh, at the conclusion of this recording. Yes, I will give you all the information, how to retrieve the recording. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for that. And thank you, everyone, for your questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Rena, for your time, your generous service with us this morning, sharing your personal uh, insights with us regarding finding a higher power. We thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure it will be helpful to many, and we thank you for that. I'm going to close the meeting in the way we always close the meeting here on A Vision for You, and that's from page 164. chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.